0: No matter what you hear in there, no matter how cruelly I beg you, do not open this door. Ah! Let me out. Let me out of here. Get me the hell out of here. Hey there, it's Scary Parish. It's Monday, November 16, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and today we're going to be continuing our series of short episodes dedicated to the top 10 of my top 25 and one last Monday through Friday, we did the teams ranked 10th through six. So today we move on to the school ranked fifth in the top 25 and one. And that school is Iowa. Iowa had five players start at least 20 games last season. Each one of them is back, including Luca Garza, the consensus preseason national player of the year. What's to like about Fran McCaffrey's Hawkeyes? What are the concerns? We'll get into it momentarily, but first,
1: With a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at Hyundaiusa.com. Call 562-314-4603
0: for complete details. Okay, Norlander, today we're talking Iowa. I have the Hawkeyes fifth in the entire United States of America. You have them third. In the Big Ten, this is Gene Wilder's alma mater for crying out loud. Explain it's your all disrespect- there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized. So you get.
1: Nothing. We're actually higher than on them than most. I mean, they're 28th at Torvik. They are, where are they at Ken Palm? They're all the way down to 12 at at Ken Palm. So, uh, listen, relative to what the computers are expecting here, I'm actually pretty good on it. And you frame it as third in the Big Ten. Do I or do I not have Iowa top ten? I don't know. I do. <laughs> yes. No, I, do. I, I actually do. Now, I, I do love that we have attached Gene Wilder to this forever, and, uh, and I, I, I'm going to roll with that. Um, but listen, and, and listen, I know you're the guy that usually says to listen, but I'm going to say listen. Okay? Listen. Li- li- listen. Listen. Iowa brings back its starting five. It's going to be offensively top shelf top 3 offense in the country i think that's i think that's a reasonable projection there Gonzaga probably will be the best offense and then Iowa might have a good shot at number 2 defensively this team was less than reliable a season ago i mean the hawkeyes who again we're talking about as a top 5 team in the eyes of gp top 10 team for me but this is this is the best it's ever been heading into a season it's 4th in the ap poll by the way so the ap voters are even higher on them than you are but 20 and 11 last season 97th in defensive efficiency, and lost three of its final four games. The only win was at home against Penn State. There's enough there that makes me say I just prefer, by narrow margins, Illinois, who we've already talked about, and then Wisconsin, who we've already talked about. So we agree on the top three teams in the league. We just disagree on the order i i'm hoping that McCaffrey and his staff are able to turn iowa into a top 50 defensive unit which is not going to be an easy task but if it does if they do do that then there's no there's no doubt about it Iowa is going to be a top 10 team in america and not say 20 or even 23rd which is what it finished last season at kenpom as the 23rd best team in efficiency margin
0: yeah they were 23rd at kenpom but 94 94- 5th or 97th in defensive efficiency, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, I believe, on the Big Ten podcast. Um, there's only two teams in the history of the Ken Palm database that dates back to 2002 that have finished – in the top 10 at Ken Palm, while also finishing outside of the top 95 in defensive efficiency. I won't hit you with the trivia time because we've been through that, but one of them is the Notre Dame team in 2015 finished 99th in defensive efficiency, but still ninth at Ken Palm. The other is Missouri in 2012 finished 111th in defensive efficiency, but still seventh at Ken Palm. Neither team made the final four. So I guess what I'd say uh, now is the same thing I said, then it is possible to be very good being this bad defensively but it's rare the bottom line is that if iowa wants to be what i think they can be uh, go to the final four for the first time since 1980 they're gonna have to be better defensively they don't have to be top 25 but i do think they're gonna have to be much better than 97th. so let me ask you this can a team because it's not like they're, well, they were 97th last season, but man, they're enrolling a five-star point guard who is a, you know, who's Ashton Hagens on the defensive end of the court. And they're enrolling a five-star center who is a Musa Sise level rim protector. Like it's the same guys. The same guys that finished 97th are the guys that they're going to be relying on to be better defensively this season. Can that happen? Like, are we just being, because I, if I'm being honest, I can totally envision a scenario where we go, we're looking up in February and. Nobody's playing any games. I'm just kidding. I could totally envision a scenario where we look up in February and we go, you know what? Iowa was a good team led by a great player last season, and that's exactly what they are this season. They're a good team, just a good team, led by a great player this season. I could see that, sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's actually a stark at, over at uh, with Torvik's numbers. He's got Iowa projected to have the 115th best defense in America. Again, this is just a projection that's a that's a drop off from where it was a season ago. I don't think that's going to happen there. I don't think that Iowa can convert itself into being uh, even a B plus level defensive team. But I do think if you bring everyone back, you know, uh, winning can can really be contagious with a with a lot of good talent there. Then they should be able to to upgrade to a certain level. And also, you know, the offense can feed the defense here. I mean, if if Iowa, if you're telling me Iowa's going to be even better on offense this season than it was last season, no guarantee of that either. By the way, there are just so many tangible and non-tangible and intangible factors i should say heading into the season that it as we've talked about and built up to the start of of college basketball which by the way oh yeah it's supposed to start next week okay nine days away let's freaking go um there's just it seems like we don't really have a good handle on really how good or not any team is going to be here um from you know 14-day sit-outs being mandatory to irregularities in the schedule, how these teams are practicing. Let us be clear on this episode. Though we have Iowa as the fifth-best team, this goes for any team that we're going to talk about. The potential for us to be wildly wrong on some of these squads is very real um, because there's just so much uncertainty around the sport and, and how many games we're going to be able to get in there. Um Historically speaking, uh, defense is more reliable than offense, so maybe that makes Iowa a little bit more vulnerable. But hell, Hawkeye fans, you have been waiting for a season like this for so long, for so long. I mean, you have a... Historically, what's a top forty program in college basketball? But it's not often where you're a top ten quality kind of team, and this is that kind of season. It should be that you have Luca Garza. I mean, it's taken us what you know seven minutes to even mention his name and, and talk about what he brings to this uh, this team, which is a good thing because while he's the expected and near universal preseason pick for player of the year, and that's and that's rightfully what should be the case, he does not have to carry this team. I mean, Joe Wieskamp, Jordan Bohannon coming back, even Connor McCaffrey uh, is a really good player in his own right. There's enough around him where Iowa is going to be one of the must-watch teams, in part because of the offense, but in part because of the expectation there, because the teams that are ahead of him in the AP poll Uh, Baylor, Villanova, Gonzaga, they were really, really good last season, and Iowa was just good last season. They weren't really, really good. They are the team that's crashing the party, that's entering in, that's a Final Four contender, a National Championship contender. They're not there every single season, and so the intrigue around this team, I think, is high. Fran McCaffrey has had moments across his Iowa career where he has been rightfully criticized for his brutal temper on the sidelines, slamming chairs, screaming at players' faces. You know, there have been some some bad moments, but the program has stuck with him. And now, in what is going to be his eleventh season, he has brought this program finally to what should be its apex. And in doing so, uh, has a good chance of being the best team in what will be the best conference, the Big Ten.
0: It is a little unfortunate. Um, that when people think of Iowa basketball, that they do think of Fran losing his mind on the sideline? Because he's a really good coach. And yet, you know, it's, it's angry Fran. Like, we've even joked about it on the podcast. I'm wondering, and I, I'm, I'm asking this uh, sincerely, do you think... The Greg Marshall situation, now let me be very clear. Fran McCaffrey has never been accused of, of punching a player or choking an assistant coach. He just like loses his mind sometimes on the sideline. But do you think, given the Greg Marshall situation, that it will have coaches trying their best to be more under control especially while on national television and specifically do you think it'll have an impact on on Fran McCaffrey because he is one of the um one of the coaches most connected to wild sideline behavior
1: I mean maybe uh but you know, I would have thought the same thing. I, you know, after the Mike Rice stuff, I would have thought, right. oh, you know, it's got to end, and it and it didn't. Um, now, again, these are not the these are not the same people. These are not the same actions. But uh, when it comes to uh, having a temper, which Fran has had on the sideline, there's just no doubt about it. There's no refuting that. Um, and it hasn't been in every game thing. It just, you know, it seems like about once a year, there's there's something of an of an episode there. But he's got a really good team, so hopefully that's not going to be the case there. I would I would. I would hope and think that Fran has um has finally turned a corner, and and we'll wait and see uh, on that this season. We're also GP. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, everyone that, uh, in all honesty and sincerity, like this has been trying mentally for just about every adult in this country for any number of reasons there. Um, I would hope that basketball can be, uh, can be just this huge release valve for coaches and players. And I'm now speaking across the sport. I mean, even for you and me, like we've been, uh, you know, we've been happy to continue with this podcast regularly in the off season. And we sincerely appreciate everyone that's been continuing to listen. Like the people that leave the reviews that have subscribed, like the numbers have been very good. We're so appreciative, but I am so damn ready for games like i i just i am starving to actually talk about previewing matchups watching the games and reacting with you on this podcast like we are just almost there it's just been the longest off season in the history of modern college basketball and uh and so you know this is a bit of a tangent but i think everyone and this comes from talking to coaches too where it's like our guys just want to play man they're just they're just so eager and anxious to finally get out and play for their mental health. Because you have guys that have been like, they've had to literally be in their dorm rooms for 14, 20 days at a time because of contact tracing and and quarantine stuff. They just want to play the games as much as possible. And if you're a team like Iowa, where you know the hype is there, everyone's back, we can win a national championship, they're champing at the bit
0: yeah and like it's such a good fan base like I want them to have this great season. I want it to live up to expectations. Obviously it's happening um, under less than ideal circumstances right in the middle of a dumb pandemic but uh, like I, I i I like the Iowa fan base and you, 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 you know, seasons on paper like this don't come along that often at Iowa again it's a program that hasn't been in the final four since 1980 at Kansas you're always operating preseason top 10 at duke you're almost always preseason top 10 kentucky same thing at, at Iowa I don't want to say this is a once in a 20 year thing but it's it's not a normal thing and beyond that like one of my best friends married an Iowa girl so i've got strong Iowa ties now i was in a wedding last year with just me and a bunch of Iowa girls so i'm uh I'm, i i've i've strong i have strong Personal connections to the state of Iowa now, so I actually want this to to live up to expectations. Also, I'm a big Luca Garza fan. He's, I mean, he you know, we we always talk about breakthrough seasons. Nobody had a breakthrough season like he had last season. I mean, he. Was he even on our preseason top one hundred list a year ago? I don't remember.
1: No, we we brought this up on our recent pod. Yeah. he was not. He literally was, and we we published our top one hundred one last uh, last week, and of course we got some some pushback on a few players. So just as an example and as an analog here, um, one of the, there are two players I think we got the most blowback on that weren't on the list. It was Trey Mitchell of UMass and and David Duke of Providence. And David Duke could be the Luca Garza of this year, and that like we could look up and if Duke cracked the top fifty, I I think that would be understandable, and I, I could see that happening. Luca like Duke, really just like he legitimately like just missed because I remember hearing from Iowa fans last year about this, and and tell him, like you know we did a top one hundred one list. Luca I think was like one hundred three, so he should have been on the list, but he was he literally just missed the cut there, and then <laughs> lo and behold. Hell, man, he goes on to become you know, a top-two player in the sport last season and now returns as the player of the year. And, again, that's not a common thing. It's, it's very rare when you have uh, a player that doesn't go to the draft and was one of the best players in college basketball. But because of how Garza plays and in an Iowa system, what the NBA wants, uh, college basketball benefits in getting him back.
0: Yeah, he was the only first team, second team, or third team CBS Sports All American who returned to college for this season. Last season averaging twenty-three point nine points, nine point eight rebounds, one point eight blocks, shot fifty-four percent from the field, and actually thirty-six percent from three point range. Low, low, low three point uh shot totals, but still, you know, when he took them, he made a, a good percentage. Um there was some Luca Garza slander in our Slack a few weeks back um, with our some of our editors and other college basketball writers, where some were suggesting that if other players were given the opportunity that he's given, they could average similar numbers. I, I think I was busy, so I didn't chime in. But do you subscribe to that at all? Like I, I don't think Luca Garza is Luca Garza because he's playing at Iowa. I, I think Luca Garza would be posting numbers like this basically anywhere. Except I mean, Virginia. I, Except for Virginia. He's not posting them <laughs>
1: at Virginia. I promise you that. And uh, you throw Luca Garza on Duke, I don't know if he's necessarily posting up these kind of numbers. There might be a few programs. But in general, like with who he is, I mean, Iowa might help it a little bit. Fran's an offensive-minded coach, but I don't think that he's incapable. Like if you throw Luca Garza on on Gonzaga, I think he's putting up these numbers. If you throw Luca Garza on Creighton, I think he's putting up these numbers. So I don't think it's an Iowa-only thing. Like, if you put him on Oregon, I think he's putting up these numbers. So, no, I don't think it's an Iowa-only thing. And I'm not here to stand... For Luca Garza slander. That's not going to happen on this podcast, not, not when he's been as good as he's been and has continued to thrive. And again, I think I mentioned this like a couple months ago on a podcast, but there was some video that was put out where he was like working on his hook shot. And if that is, I'm telling you, I'm going to lose it. If that is truly, if if we are talking a couple games into Iowa season, Luca's dropping these baby hooks and, and, it's, and that adds to the arsenal, it's over. It's done. Best player in college hoops. It's uh, it's very tantalizing. I love the idea of Garza being like, "I'm gonna get even better, and I'm gonna bring in uh, Kareem's go-to move because it's if you master that shot, and again, you got to be comfortable with putting it into your game, implementing it, having your coach be good with it, and it's it's an unusual form, but if you can master it, it literally is unguardable you cannot stop that shot. It is not blockable when you're as big as Garza is. You have that kind of length and you're used like that. So if that's going to be uh part of what he brings into the game, then it is truly a game changer and all the more reason why he should be considered the the front runner for best player in college basketball.
0: He is by basically everybody and yet here's the truth. Um the front runner for player of the year in college basketball almost never wins player of the year in college basketball. Last season People were just as sure that it should be Cassius Winston as they are now that it should be Luca Garza, and yet Cassius Winston didn't, didn't sniff any of the postseason National Player of the Year awards. Now, that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be Luca Garza heading into this season. There is no appropriate alternative to Luca Garza ex- unless you g- you're just going to take a flyer on a freshman specifically Kate Cunningham there is no returning player in college basketball that you can make a reasonable argument for um, above Luca Garza but so I don't mean that anybody's wrong including us like Luca Garza should be the preseason player of the year but history suggests that uh, the preseason player of the year in this sport is is often not the postseason player of the year for, for a variety of reasons.
1: Yeah, I I mean, we do this on an annual basis and we've only been right once in the past decade. Trivia time. Okay. Who's the only preseason player that became the player of the year that CBS Sports accurately tabbed at the start of the season in the past decade?
0: Mm-hmm. Anthony Davis?
1: We did not pick Anthony Davis. I have the entire list in front of me here. Anthony Davis was not our preseason player of the year, the year that he won it. You know who was the preseason player of the
0: year that year? Harrison Barnes?
1: Jared Selinger. Hmm. Jared Selinger was our preseason player of the year, the year that he won it. The winner happened in the past three to five seasons. I'll keep it a roving target there.
0: The player was the national player of the year and the preseason player of the year. Mm-hmm. uh, doug
1: Doug mcdermott the year doug mcdermott won our preseason player of the year was just brought up on last week's podcast we had andrew wiggins as the preseason player of the year give you one more guess and then i'll give you that's that's probably my that's probably my fault i apologize yeah well you know it's it's okay (laughs) no worries one more guess it's happened since 2016 so it was either 16 17 18 or 19 it was one of those years
0: well, this is one of those times where I can't even remember who the players of the year
1: were. Uh, I, I, without a doubt, that's what makes this so much fun.
0: Um, was it Terry Teagle, nineteen eighty-one? No. <laughs> let, uh, let, let me let me try to figure. It. I I will not be able to figure this out. Just, all right, here uh, we
1: go. I'm going to give you the list. All right. Okay. In 2011, we picked Sollinger. Davis won it. In 2012, we picked Cody Zeller, but Trey Burke won it. In 2013, we picked Wiggins and McDermott won it. In 2014, we picked Jaleel Okafor, but Frank Kaminsky won it. 2015, this one seems like a major miss in retrospect. Uh, we picked Kyle Wilcher, but Ven- uh, Denzel Valentine and Buddy Heald actually split, the, split those awards. In 2016, we understandably picked Grayson Allen, but Frank Mason won it. 2017 is the year, but I'll get to that in a second. In 2018, we had RJ Barrett. I don't know who that is, but Zion Williamson won it. And then in 2019, we picked Cassius Winston, Obi Toppin won it. And to be fair, Garza did one, one last season through Sporting News. 2017 was the year. We picked Jalen Brunson, and indeed, that was the correct. How about pick. that? There we How about go. that? There we go. So we have Garza. History's not on our side. And to me, Kate Cunningham would be the uh, the leading candidate to win it over him. But who even knows? I mean, Obi Topham was easily in our top 101 last season. He was top 50, I believe. Uh, he wound up being the uh, the winner there. And it, by the way, like Garza deserve, deserves all the pub, but he's not. Again, he's not the only dude here. Iowa's going to be a great offensive team. Wieskamp Camp is a uh, is a top 60 player in the country, and I think that Bohannon could have a case. He didn't get onto our list, but I think he's in the conversation for top 100 status there. Uh, So keep that in mind. I mean, CJ Frederick is back as well. There's a lot here with Iowa and uh, they're a a very fun team. I I can't wait to see what they do. And again, like they, Fran McCaffrey wanted to schedule a tough game. Mark few basically was borderline fearless in in scheduling any power conference team in the non-conference. So they are going to try and play each other in early December in South Dakota. That's, Tremendous, and that could be the... We have a lot of must-see games in the non-conference, but if that we get to a point where like Gonzaga and Iowa are both in the top three, from an offensive standpoint, like that's even better than Baylor versus Villanova or Gonzaga versus Kansas. These are all really, really good games, but Iowa-Kansas could be like 99-96 to 96 kind of game. So it could be as entertaining as any projected top-10 matchup we have in the non-conference in the first three weeks of the season.
0: And that Gonzaga-Iowa game is December 19th. You'll be able to watch it. On CBS Sports. That's America's most watched network. It is the network of stars. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. Antigo, legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys for listening once again. And we will talk to you again on Tuesday when we will profile the team ranked fourth in my top 25 and 1 as Tony Bennett's Virginia Cavaliers.